Welcome to episode 74 of Contested Catch. We are back with our season three premiere, and we're kicking it off um, with our NFL draft landscape, and we're going to be talking about offense today. We're not going to do both sides of the ball, so we're just going to focus on offense and basically go over position by position, how we see it shaping up, you know, the, the key names that you need to know about, no deep dives right now, but we're going to basically take a look at the, the class overall. And before we get into that, you know, we've had a short layoff, but a few updates to share. We'll start by just welcoming back our usual co-host, data specialist, the do-it-all man, Jeff. How's it going, my man? Hello, Will. Season three, uh, you know what they say, third time's the charm. Absolutely. I think it's going to be a big one. I think it will. You know, solid growth last couple of years and... You know, we're getting better and also like personally and also adding some more people to the staff, I think you said. Yep. P- potentially we're going to we're going to uh, have an update on that in the coming weeks. Um, we do have a new team member already. Uh, her name's Murphy and she is a beautiful little hound puppy uh, that I just added to my personal team. Um, and so anyway, we'll, we'll probably get a picture of her on the site. But Jeff, you have an exciting addition coming your way as well. I do. I'm getting a little golden retriever puppy in four to five weeks, uh, you know, naming her Nala after one of, you know, iconic childhood movie. Yep, absolutely. Uh, I just think it's hilarious that, you know, I get maybe a couple weeks of of the limelight with my fresh new puppy and Jeff has to one up <laughs> me right away with a, a fresher new puppy. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, we're looking, looking forward, forward to that. It. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's just give our audience a sense of what's coming over the next few months in terms of podcast content and what's going to be on the website. Um, so one thing, you know, just to be completely clear with everyone, we haven't used the website to its fullest because we haven't been churning out article content. The website debuted right before the start of last season, and we wanted to make sure our tools were up there and accessible for everyone, and we wanted a central place to host everything. And so now that we've had a t- chance to take a deep breath after the 2020 season. And as we approach 2021, we're going to be having a lot of content on there, obviously still our tools, um, but a lot more written form content as well. So um, on the podcast, we'll be getting more and more regular as we approach and push through the NFL draft. Obviously, we'll turn our attention to fantasy football in the summer uh, after the NFL draft. But, we'll, you know, Jeff, I think we'll probably talk about some dynasty stuff during the during the context of the NFL draft and, and what leads up to it. So um we are also hoping to have some familiar and some new guests from the industry to talk about prospects, teams, what's going to happen uh, at the end of April. So looking forward to that. Um, and just a reminder, guys, if there's something you'd love to hear us discuss or someone we should ask to join us on a show, DM me at Contested Catch. DMs are always open there. Um, so on the website, we're going to have a steady stream of content going up on the website in written form. Um, our NFL draft contributor, Noah Rockoff has been chomping at the bit for his time and it's finally here. So, you know, remember we introduced him along with Kyle Singer, uh, Kyle is a, as an NFL or a fantasy football contributor. And so he had a, you know, a lot of chances to, um, showcase what he brings to the table for you guys. And now it's finally Noah's turn. He's been waiting very patiently. So anyway, uh, stay tuned for Noah's contributions that are going to come up on the website. And I'm sure we're going to get him on the podcast a good bit as well. Um, plus Jeff and I will obviously be publishing our own articles online on the website. So I'll be posting all of my 2020 NFL draft content from last year. So you guys can take a look at how I did, what some of my con- uh, draft content looks like. This will include my top 100 big board with player write-ups on all 100 players, uh, and obviously evaluation there, mock drafts, NFL draft grades for the class after the draft occurred and individual picks and positional rankings. So, uh, very excited for this draft season. I think 
that uh, that will give everyone a, a taste of of what I churn out during the draft process. I'm planning to do it bigger and better this year. Um, and Jeff, do you want to give a sense of of what you have planned for this draft season? Yes, I think mostly I'm working on the fantasy positions. Uh, hopefully, we'll get into defensive backs a little bit more. Uh, I have a couple like mini model projects in the works for wide receivers too. So you know, hopefully, we can help quantify the analytic process a little more strongly than you know, kind of just going off of the you know, normal breakout age dominator rating stats, which are great, but also expand and you know, come up with some more metrics to help with accuracy. Love it. Absolutely love it. Um, okay. So good stuff. Let's, uh, let's talk about COVID Jeff, something that everyone has probably thought and talked about way too much, uh, over the last year, you know, but at the same time, you know, it's important and it does have impacts that you can't see, uh, when you're one inch away, but now we have a little bit of room here. Not that it's over by any means, but let's take a, let's take a look and think about, uh, the impact on the draft process for 2021 and what effects we might see on draft day. So a few premier prospects opted out, such as potential OT1, Penny Sewell, wide receiver one, Jamar Chase, linebacker one, Micah Parsons. I mean, the list goes on. There's a lot of guys that we didn't get to see in, in 2020 at the college level due to injury or COVID or both. You know, other teams, we did technically get to see them, but they played fewer games, such as a top quarterback prospect trade lance with north dakota state university playing just one game in the fcs i mean that doesn't even count that's just an exhibition true <laughs> <laughs> i mean so we basically didn't see him in 2020 um so there's more uncertainty than ever in what is already a crapshoot in the nfl draft so i think we'll see some savvy teams trade back i think we'll see teams attempt to shift their draft capital from 2021 to 2022 and minimize their exposure to costly mistakes that could occur with even more uh, uncertainty this year than ever before. Jeff, do you think I'm right in those in those that thinking? And what else do you see um, being impacted by COVID in 2020? Um, well, I'm not really sure how much I agree on the trading back because there has to be a buyer. So mm. even if a team's looking to, you know, hey, like accumulate either 2022 picks or you know, more later round and just kind of cast a wider net, you know, that means another team it needs to have the confidence to trade up. So um, I don't think, I think we'll see a good amount of trading towards the top of the draft with uh, how many quarterbacks are going to go. But other than that, I, I can see it being normal. Um, I don't know if there really be any crazy differences. I think the, the big thing is there's going to be such a, like a much wider range of opinion on player evaluations because you, you kind of end up with like, it's twofold a with like scouts hitting the road, going to games together. They didn't do that as much. And then um, and like sharing, talking to each other. And then in the pre-draft process with teams kind of meeting, not that they're like saying, you know, the bills and Patriots are getting together and exchanging notes on players, but you know, like there's conversation and then, going in between media members and saying, Hey, you know, what do they think about this guy? Whatever. Um, that the media more so, especially in the media is not going to have as good of an idea of what teams feel because they aren't there to get ideas from teams and kind of like be their mouthpiece and this and that. And even within teams, I think you're just going to see like a much wider range of player evaluations. Um, you know, maybe some teams will like wait the, say sophomore year tape a lot more heavily than like the four games this junior year. So I, I think that's just going to be much, you know, 
like I said, just wider range of opinions on players. And some players could slide a ton. You could see somebody that go like a round and a half more than what was expected. Like this is going to be, I do think it will be a pretty crazy draft in that regard. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, and on the, the trade back idea that I was talking about, Notice I said savvy teams will be looking to trade back. I don't think that everyone is going to want to trade back. I think there are going to be teams that are going to take missteps by moving up for players that, you know, we don't have as good of an idea about and they take a risk. And, you know, when you ever take a risk, it might not pay off. So I don't know. My my thinking is just that I think teams that generally trade back are probably going to feel even more so inclined to do that, either acquire extra picks later in the draft or or more chances to hit. But anyway, let's move on. You already mentioned one uh, position group. The quarterbacks and there are a lot of them that are in the first round conversation so why don't we shift over there so at the end of season two we already started to discuss the quarterback landscape which has the potential to be wilder than ever before truly and this isn't just like you know exaggeration or hyperbole like we're talking huge names are potentially available like obviously one of the faces of of the league deshaun watson wants out of houston Maybe even Russell Wilson um, more recently, he, he apparently didn't ask for a trade, but said, if you're going to trade me, I will only go to these four spots. And so uh, he is potentially on the move, possibly Matt Ryan, who's entering the twilight of his career. But, you know, still the, the Falcons basically need to rebuild so he could be on the move. We already saw a few quarterbacks in the 2016 draft class get moved around. Carson Wentz heading to Indy and even more impactful, Jared Goff accompanying a bunch of picks to Detroit while Matt Stafford heads, heads over to the Rams. This is just the tip of the iceberg. There are a lot more moves to be made, a lot more shuffling around. You know, what happens in Chicago? What happens in Miami with Tua? Um, now we have to factor in the quarterback class in this draft class and how it's shaping up. So obviously it includes someone who, who scouts think is a generational quarterback prospect like an Andrew Luck in Trevor Lawrence. Um, but there are a few other big time prospects at this position as well. And Jeff, let's just start here. How many first round quarterbacks do you think there will be? And who are they? Um, I think there's going to be five. Uh, and there's Trevor Lawrence, who everyone has known about for three years, you know, since he stepped on campus at Clemson, you know, he's locked in at the one one I don't see Jacksonville deviating from that. Then Justin Fields, who we've seen on the big stage several times, uh, you know, he's been penciled in as the QB two in this class since last season, you know, some reports think he might still might not be the number two quarterback off the board, even though he overall is consensus QB two. And then the next three are all a bit, um, you know, a little divisive and polarizing. And uh, we'll start Mac Jones, who uh, Heisman finalist out of Alabama this year and, you know, helped them win the national championship. And he, he played really well, you know, pretty solid for Tua last season after Tua got hurt and came out and had, you know, another, like a strong senior season. Um, and then Zach Wilson out of BYU and Trey Lance out of North Dakota State are those two might be the most um, get wide gaps in player talent evaluations for for Zach Wilson's kind of like, all right, he he didn't really do anything for the first couple years and then had a fantastic year this year um, or this season, but he wasn't going up against the strongest competition. He had a really good offensive line and could basically you know, kind of just sit back. He, he did make some really exciting play, plays and has great arm strength. Um, you know, everyone's looking for the Mahomes and, you know, there's, you know, plays that remind people of Patrick Mahomes, which is kind of why he's is an exciting prospect, but that doesn't, necessarily, he's not a Mahomes level prospect by any means. And I mean, really just trying to compare anyone to Mahomes is kind of 
a mistake. Absurd. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and then my favorite quarterback in this class, not my QB one, but like my favorite one is Trey Lance, North Dakota state FCS. It, it makes the talent evaluation a little bit more difficult. Um, North Dakota state is where Carson Wentz played, but in my opinion, that's really like the only comparison between the two in terms of prospects. Like that, that would be like comparing Justin Fields to Dwayne Haskins. Mm. Um, yeah. So like with Lance, th- the difficulty is we have one season, one incredible season of evaluation and it, what it was against, like I said, FCS opponents. Um, but he had 28 touchdowns passing and i think another 11 on the ground and zero interceptions he had over 1000 rushing yards and another uh 2500 to 3000 i think in the through the air you know dual threat um can't like you know really good mechanics for someone who's only 19 years old like he has all the physical tools that like his arm is incredibly strong um and he's just a, he's a really fun player to watch so he like, like I said, he's my QB three. There's a lot more uncertainty in that evaluation than, um, I mean, really anyone outside of Lawrence and Fields. There's like all three of them have some pretty rough, you know, kind of like uncertainty in lower end. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if Lance ends up being the best NFL quarterback in this class, um, just because he does have the physical tools. He might need to sit a year because he is. A on the younger side and B doesn't have as much college experience as the other um, players. But I, I, if he does pan out at the next level, like he, he could be special. Yeah, no. And Trey Lance is a guy I already mentioned that barely played this year. Super intriguing prospect. I think he has shades of Dak Prescott in him with the true dual threat profile. You know, at the same time, you know, he played at a lower competition level, like you said, in the FCS at North Dakota state. Uh, And so, you know, with only one real year to evaluate, I think you're right that he's going to be one of the more polarizing quarterback prospects. There are a couple like one hit wonder type guys, and it's for different reasons. Like Trey Lance was amazing in the one year that we saw. Uh, again, we factor in the context of the competition level and such. Um, Zach Wilson's a one year wonder, not because he didn't play more than just one year, but he only had one good year uh, at BYU. Similar competition concerns. He was lights out in 2020, but people are like, well, why wasn't he better? earlier on. Um, and then Mac Jones, you know, Alabama has had some really good quarterbacks over the last couple of years to uh, Jalen Hurts, who sucked up a lot of the the snaps there. But so we basically only got one real year of Mac Jones. And he was like, statistically unbelievable. I think people have concerns that that the actual talent doesn't match the analytical profile in terms of like, you know, his QBR and, and his uh, his overall production. Um He's also surrounded by top tier talent, but played top tier uh, at a top tier level against really, really good competition. So I think this this quarterback class is going to be fascinating to see which guys move around um, for some reason, Jeff. You know, let's talk about Justin Fields for a second. You know, we don't, I don't think we need to spend any time on Trevor Lawrence. There is so much Trevor Lawrence content out there. I think he should be consensus QB one. I think he is. There are some people a little hot takey putting someone over him, but um, I think Justin Fields is, he, you know, big time high school prospect, had to transfer from Georgia to Ohio State. Jake Fromm held him off. He held off a lot of really good prospects and hasn't really done anything in the NFL so far. Obviously, yeah. Bill. He wasn't that special in Georgia either. No, he wasn't. But for some reason, you know, the he knew that he knew the playbook. I guess so. 
Um, <laughs> uh, as a true freshman, he knew the playbook as a true freshman. That's what that's what happened. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Justin Fields transfers out of Georgia to Ohio State, proceeded to ball out there. Um, and it, he's someone who's getting knocked a lot. I feel like Justin Fields is receiving the most online hate right now in terms of people like trying to find holes in the game. Uh, I think we agree, Jeff, that this guy is an absolute stud worthy of a top pick. I have no issues making him QB two. I feel much more confident about his ceiling or his floor, I should say, than any of the other quarterbacks we talked about outside of Lawrence. Um, and so I know you don't like the, the field slander either. And any other additional thoughts on, you know, how you feel about Justin, Justin Fields? No, not really. I, I don't know. I think some of it is people looking at Ohio State and saying, oh, like, look, you know, the Dwayne Haskins recency bias, which doesn't like it's twofold. A Fields is a ton better player and prospect than Haskins, plus like Haskins issues extended like way off the field. Um, I, I think that's part of it. Um, but it doesn't make sense. And I mean, look, watching going back and watching the, the national championship game with Fields and Jones, obviously Jones you know, stat line was better and they had like, you know, overall had a better game and Bama won. But you watch the throws that Fields was making, he was being asked to make, and you asked watch the throws that for the most part Jones was making and being asked to make. Like Fields, his his arm strength was on a whole different level than Mac Jones. Definitely. You know, he, he made throws that I don't think Mac Jones was really physically capable of making. And he was pushing the ball downfield into tighter windows. And like a lot of Jones throws not to say he didn't make any hard throws but a lot of them were like they were schemed open and were pretty easy and i mean um was it sean wade's the ohio state cornerback mm -hmm. who's just had an absolutely awful game yeah, i think yeah. like you know <laughs> so like uh yeah he was just on a and considering mac jones is still pro is still gonna go in the first round he feels it's just he said it's just it's on a different level in terms of talent and what he's already been asked to do. Yeah. You know, Mac Jones is an interesting guy to talk about because I, I just haven't have a feeling, you know, I haven't done my full deep dive into all the quarterbacks yet, but I just have a feeling I'm going to be higher on Mac Jones than the consensus is. Uh, you know, we talked about, we've talked a lot about Jalen hurts, but Jalen hurts was the guy that I put my stamp on last year that I was way higher on than consensus. I think that's going to pay off in the long run. Um, but Mac Jones, I'm not necessarily putting him in the same class, but I just feel like, for some reason, people are like discounting him like, oh, he played at Alabama. I mean, yeah, he played at Alabama and he took, you know, national title. Like this guy had an unbelievable statistical season. I think the real thing when you look at Mac Jones profile uh, from a traits perspective, from a skills perspective, I'm not sure people see Super Bowl winner there. Um, and I'm not sure that people see. Yeah, I think people see like Andy Dalton to Kirk Cousins. Yes. Oh, 100 percent. 100%. A game manager type who can definitely win games, but, you know, maybe wasn't isn't going to put the team on his back. You know, maybe maybe a team drafting him would hope that they can have like a Trent Dilfer situation where maybe the quarterback is like one of the weakest parts of the whole team, but the rest of the team is so good that it makes up for it. I think that's a little bit I, I think that's where it comes um, becomes difficult to judge where Mac Jones is going to go, because if people think he's good enough to be like a consistent starter in the NFL, but not good enough to win a Super Bowl. How do you even draft a player like that? Like you could do, you could do much better by drafting one of these really good wide receivers who we're going to talk about, and then build around you know maybe a veteran quarterback who could already win games in, in the playoffs. Um, so I don't know. He's an interesting guy. I think that he is more talented than he's being given credit for right now, and I don't think we should discount the competition level. 
when you factor in, you know, the talent level that was around him at Alabama. We're going to talk a lot about the Alabama receivers that he was throwing to. But anyway, Jeff, any other thoughts on this quarterback class before we move on? No, I think we're good for now. You know, we'll get, you know, deeper into it as we go on. But it's a solid overview. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to running backs now. And, you know, it's a position that we talked a lot about in the context of how important or not important it is for an NFL team's success. And one where there is a huge discrepancy, probably the biggest discrepancy in the NFL draft communities on how high is too high to take a running back. You know, we saw Leonard Fournette, fourth overall pick from a couple of years ago, uh, just win a Super Bowl. And, you know, the Buccaneers may not have done it with that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they, you know, that was a really funny, like, fake victory lap. Hey, hey, taking. hey, the Chiefs, the Chiefs had a first-round running back on their they team, They had a first-round running back on their team as well, uh, who was one of the biggest disappointments from the first-round first, first round picks last year. Um, so, anyway, you know, running backs, there are some really good ones in this class. Um, but I think, I think we could push to the side for now, Jeff, where we think they're going to go and more so talk about how – high of quality we're seeing in this class so how do you see it shaping up um it's not as strong as last year's class that's for sure i think right now there's a solid big three um the consensus top two are Najee harris and travis atn and then the number three that is not guy who's not probably is known mainstream as Javante Williams, but he is solidly in like in terms of building a big three, he's there. Um, some places do have him as the running back one overall. He will also likely be my running back one. Um, so Harris, I'm sure everyone has knows him by now, said Alabama uh running back, had a fantastic season. Um, my kind of thing with him is like he could have come out last, like from a business decision perspective, you know, coming back to school definitely ended up being the right move. Um, but in terms of becoming a better prospect, I don't think it necessarily makes him like that much better. Um, you know, he, there's still, I think four or five players in who were drafted last year, who I think are better players right now and are younger than him still. Right. He'll, he, well, he will be 23 on opening day next year. Um, Whereas like he like Cam Akers is twenty one right now, mm. um, so I I do think it's like okay you know what is, did he have a fantastic season? Yes, he did. Um, do you factor in though that he was you know what six two two thirty going up against kids who were like two three four years younger than him? Like to, in my opinion, that is something that should be taken into account compared to say Javante Williams, who's only tw- who's two years younger than Najee Harris and had just as impressive of a year like and that's kind of that's how I look at things when evaluating then Travis Etienne he had a little bit of a down year but also on the flip side I'm like he would have been a top three running back in last year's class but I, I would have preferred that he came out last year um so it's kind of like I think I would you know I like Etienne especially in today's NFL better than Najee Harris but I could see also from a fantasy perspective where I might end up having Harris over ATN. Um, and yeah, that's kind of where I sit at the top of the running back class right now. I think athleticism, it's not overrated for running backs, but it, what it doesn't, it, you know, what the combine can't measure is tackle breaking ability. So that's something I definitely take into my, into account when I'm doing my pre-draft rankings after the combine. But I think it's going to be really interesting to see Travis ETN's uh, 40 time and his combine results um, or, you know, pro day, however he ends up doing it. Um, because 
I think that if he has a lights out athletic performance, I'm not sure that he's going to have any competition for the first running back spot. Um, whether or not that is justified, I just think that there is like too much focus on him as the top running back prospect, even with the down 2020. Um, but the good news with Etienne's pro- uh, profile is that now he has complemented uh, his really, really strong running ability, obviously at a top tier program with good offense, good offensive line, a great quarterback and receivers to distract from him um, with with a good receiving profile as well. And so, um, you know, the most receiving yards among all FBS running backs in 2020. So that's a really strong thing. I think another thing that we should mention here, Jeff, is like when you're evaluating a running back prospect, we've already talked, you know, ad nauseum about the value of actually running the football. So I like to focus a lot on the receiving profile of these running backs, because the more you can make them receivers, the more the ball is in the hands of the quarterback and probably better your offense is going to be. Um, Etienne, like we just talked about, has a strong receiving profile. Uh, Javante Williams is really explosive. I'm not sure that he quite has that same uh, caliber of, of receiving profile. But Najee Harris is a guy that I think we're going to end up knocking a little bit more than more than consensus. Oh, but at the J- same Javante, Javante Williams had a pretty solid 8.4% target share. That's pretty good. While while playing with another right, NFL caliber satellite back exactly, and yeah. two NFL wide receivers. Yeah, Michael Carter, <laughs> someone will probably mention, but he he's the other competition in that uh, North Carolina backfield that did soak up a lot of targets. So, um, But Najee Harris, Jeff, he all of a sudden has like one of the strongest receiving profiles in the class, I think. And he's huge. And he's like a much more of a standard um, old, like uh, the, the type of running back that I used to love, which is like these big, grinding running backs that are just uh, you know absolute pain to take down he's actually a really good receiver um and then there's another guy that will bring shades of these memphis guys that that keep coming out i don't i don't even know how memphis is finding them or maybe they're just turning them into this but we've got another guy kenneth gainwell coming out of memphis shades of antonio gibson in a sense he, he played with antonio gibson in 2019 but he could have played wide receiver exclusively in college is is kind of that hybrid type from in this class i think you know, he's not super big, but he's very shifty and he's productive. So we'll see how he tests because Memphis continues to churn out very explosive prospects that have a, a really strong receiving profile and a pretty good running profile. You know, I'm, I'm obviously talking about like Darrell Henderson, you know, more on the running scale of things. One of the most explosive players in college when he was there. Antonio Gibson, we didn't see very much of him, but what we did see was the definition of explosiveness. Um, and he's had a really good NFL uh, start to his NFL career. So there are some interesting guys here. Um, let's talk about uh, Trey Sermon, Jeff, a guy, you know, a, a tr- I would say maybe a traditionally bigger name from Ohio State. You expect Ohio State to continue to churn out just amazing running back prospects. Ezekiel Elliott headlines the list um, from recent classes. And then obviously you've got J.K. Dobbins from last year. Trey Sermon isn't getting that much hype despite this big time school and, and you know, positional profile. Um, you know, he had a really good 2018 and I'm not sure that he's really done that much to warrant a lot of hype in the last couple of years. So, so what are your thoughts on Trey Sermon? I was listening to a podcast with Marcus Mosher the other day. He said he knows for a fact that at least one NFL team has Trey Sermon as their overall running back one. Wow. Which, I, I mean, I do not have him that high. I think he's somewhere in that like five to eight range. Um, you know, he, he has like a decent profile. Um, he started out at Oklahoma before transferring to Ohio state and 
you know, was efficient, but uh, I think he got hurt. Did he get hurt? I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, but like he, you know, there's just like a ton of competition there. Transfer to Ohio State. You know, he was playing really well this year, seven and a half yards per carry. Um, you know, then he got hurt in the national championship game, like the first drive, which kind of sucked. So, um, you know, I like him. I think, um, like I said, he's outside of kind of the top five, top four. I mean, he he has maybe the strongest like potential to be a bell cow or like, you know, a three down skill set at the NFL level. Um, yeah, I just don't know like the if the talent level is completely there. Yeah, that's fair. Um, okay, so we got one. Hey, we're missing we're missing running back four. Let's talk about him. All right. So currently my running back four. Um and I think by the time we get to draft day, he could turn the big three into a big four. Um, is Jamar Jefferson out of Oregon State, the other OSU, or one of the other OSUs. Um, so, you know, I think we all know East Coast bias, and no one stays up to watch the Pac-12 at, you know, midnight on a Saturday night. So, and also, you know, the Pac-12 just kind of sucks, so they're not really in postseason. Um, Jamar Jefferson, 5'10", about 220, coming out of Oregon State. As a true freshman, he had 1,380 rushing yards, 5.8 yards per carry, 12 touchdowns, 25 receptions, 25 receptions as a true freshman, and 150 receiving yards. Then sophomore year, he was kind of playing through injuries, you know, mediocre season. Um, but then, and then this year came back um, six and a half yards per carry. Um, I mean, you know, we know yards per carry are kind of in it, but, you know, just comparing across games, like different sample size games, he had 858 rushing yards in six games, six and a half yards per carry, seven touchdowns. Um, I think once testing comes in, if I think he could could test really well, and if he does, um, he is going to start to vault up the consensus rankings into being the consensus RB4 with some teams possibly putting him in their top three and except forming a big four. Okay. I mean, I think uh, I think there are some some lesser known people in this class for running backs that are just like not getting any hype. I think Jarrett Patterson to not play uh, or, you know, to not not be too much of a homer because he's played at, you know, University of Buffalo. UB. But yeah, but he had like the best like two or three game stretch and like in his. Games. Yeah. Production wise, <laughs> touchdowns, yardage. I think it was like it was like in 400 yards or something. Um like seven touch. I don't even remember, but I just remember seeing all the records that he was breaking. It was stupid. He, you know, you know, who he kind of reminds me of, and I mean, a little bit of polarizing player in terms of like uh fantasy, but Drell Henderson, because he's got a very similar body type, much lower BMI, but um, he's a smaller guy with just stupid explosiveness. I'm not sure that he's going to test out of this world, but he could be a guy that you get on like day three that ends up being, I mean, I don't want to like, make an outlier of the norm or anything. But uh, James Robinson was a guy who like no one knew about and then ended up being, you know, super productive as an undrafted free agent rookie. I feel like Jarrett Patterson is someone who's going to stay under the radar, but shouldn't. And, uh, <laughs> and, and is someone that we should be keeping our eye on. Yeah. So listen to this. Um, so he went 31 carries for 301 yards and four touchdowns. And then the next week, 36 carries 409 yards eight touchdowns it's, it's so absurd it's so absurd that's like that's like the kind of numbers that i would put up in my old ncaa 14 days <laughs> I mean, actually though yeah 
Um, yeah, I think my concern, I think he's going to run like sub four or like outside the four, six range is I think my concern. And in the obviously um, doesn't have like the size to really make you say, okay, well that makes sense. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. You know, like James Robinson. Okay. He ran a four, six, four, but he's at least 220 pounds. Right. I don't even you think know, pa- Patterson's, Patterson's going to play above 200. Right. So he's coming at 195 outside of four, six range. Like, you know, I, I just don't really see it working. But, yeah. You know, would love to be proven wrong on that. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. I, I still, I mean, one, one thing we talk about when we talk about like, how should you approach the NFL draft is like, you can find very worthy running back, you know, depth chart players that can help your team win on day three of the draft. And I think Patterson, it, to me, based on based on what I'm looking at right now and you know how I'm evaluating him without any sort of athletic testing numbers, I think he's one of those guys that I'm just like, dude, why you know, why take someone in like the second round at this profile when you can take a a, a very, very cheap shot at uh Jarrett Patterson? You know, he's someone that I'm just keeping my eye on. Um, anyone else that you want to talk about in this running back class, Jeff? Um well, we, we just kind of glossed over Chuba Hubbard, um, you know, who was considered towards the top and his kind of slid I Chubba think Hubba. right now I have him around yeah have him kind of around like RB five or six um you know he's to me he's just kind of like a straight line runner um I've heard some comps to Tevin Coleman you know give him like a little bit of a run lane and he has the speed to just break it off but he's really not going to make anybody miss so you know I think from like a fancy perspective if he's in the right scheme like okay if he's in San Francisco you know, wheels up because he has the speed to put the foot in the ground on that stretch zone run and just turn it upfield and break them. Um, but if they're really whoever drafts him, trying to use him as like a between the tackle runner, eh, you know, I, I just don't know that he really uh, will thrive in that type of system. So, yeah, you, you, I think um, you yeah, hit the I, nail I, on the head on, on his profile. He's definitely like a zone, a zone up the field guy. One cut and go. Yeah. Um, okay, good stuff. Let's shift over to, uh, I think a more exciting part of this class and, uh, just a more important position in in general. More exciting and more controversial. Yeah, absolutely. Um, wide receivers. So this position group is pretty amazing for 20, for 2021, considering how much hype it's generating after what many consider to be historically strong wide receiver class in 2020. You know, we saw some of the best wide receiver prospects in a while come out. And now, and that wasn't including a guy like Jamar Chase, who is in this class. Um, And, you know, he's only one of a few guys that are like, can see his consensus first round picks in this class and and worthy of that. Um, So I guess let's just start at the top, Jeff. And Jamar Chase, wide receiver one overall, I think, I think you agree with that as well. Where would you put him in terms of the 2020 class if he were to have come out then? One. One. So he would have been better than... Uh, C.D. Lamb, you would have been better than Jerry Judy, who you're not a fan of. Justin Jefferson, LaVisca Chenault, and Regor T. Higgins, yep. Chase Claypool. Like, yeah, he he would have been if he could have come out last year, he would have been wide receiver one. Yeah, I think um, I think Chase is not like I don't think he has like a perfect profile. Um, like, for instance, I, I, I struggled to find holes in C.D. Lamb's game. And I don't think that it's the same case with Jamar Chase. But let's keep let's put something in perspective here. So Joe Burrow in 2019 had the single best statistical season in college football history. He had Jamar Chase and he had Justin Jefferson. And Justin Jefferson, you know, late- and Terrace Marshall, who might be a first round pick this you're year. You're right, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and a couple of tight end prospects, and you know, 
Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, just a really, really, really good team. But obviously, it was headlined by Joe Burrow. But anyway, Justin Jefferson comes in the league last year, late first-round pick, um, absolutely lights it up, probably the best rookie season since Odell. And um, it, it was just very impressive. Jamar Chase is better than Justin Jefferson. Jamar Chase was better at LSU when they were playing at the same time. Um, he is so freaking good that, I mean, I think when you just think about it like that, like, okay, Justin Jefferson had that much success. What's the ceiling like for Jamar Chase? Um, so I, I'm totally with you. I think he's wide receiver one overall, no question. I just don't think that he is necessarily this like perfect prospect that, you know, day one, he's going to be like the best wide receiver in his conference or something like that or in his division. Yeah, he's I, I agree in that. He, yeah, he's not like you know, he's not a finished player, but like you know, he said, he just did that as a sophomore. Right. And, you know, who knows? Also, he it's not like he hasn't been doing anything, even though he took the year off. It's not like he's he hasn't been refining his game either. Um but he's done like, everything you want. He's wins in the ways you want to players to win in the NFL. So, you know, he uh, can play downfield. He is strong and physical at the catch point. He's, um, you know, he, he's not an elite separator, but he's able to get positioning. Um, you know, I, I was listening to Kurt Warner a few weeks ago. He said like when he was in playing for the Rams, the greatest show on turf, Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce were the receivers. And he's like, you know, they were just fast and they'd be open and, you know, just throw the ball up to him. When he went to Arizona with Larry Fitzgerald and Anquan Bolden, you know, he, he said they would get positioning and have leverage. And he, he wasn't used to that. And like, yo, just so it's like, we're open. He's like, but he's like, no, like, trust us, we're open. Uh, and that's kind of like, stylistically, I kind of feel like, how Chase is. He's not going to be getting five yards of separation, but he's going to be getting using leverage and getting position that he will be open. Um, and especially with his size and physicality, that like, you know, defensive backs aren't really going to be able to contend with him in that manner. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I think he's going to end up being really, really good. But yeah, so wide receiver one there. I think let's shift over now to some of the more controversial players. Um, and you know, this guy might not even really be a wide receiver. He's technically listed as a tight end. I think you and I agree that he probably will play more of a wide receiver role than tight end. Uh, and that's Kyle Pitts. He is one of the most exciting prospects in this class. I think people like just watch his tape and we're going to probably see him test pretty well. I don't think like out of this world, like Noah Fant or anything like that, but just looks like a wide receiver in a tight ends body, six, six, two fifty. maybe we'll come in at, actually at six, five, but Really, really good ball skills, very elusive route running for his size. And I just think that this guy is like going to be as fun uh, to project and to mock to different teams as, as anyone. So Kyle Pitts, Jeff, would you list him as a wide receiver? Um, and, and, you know, how good do you think he is? Um, I would list him as a tight end so that when it comes time to pay him for his second contract, I can get a discount. There you go. OK. <laughs> um, I, I would I would like use him kind of a hybrid. No, well, I bring him in line sometimes and, you know, either block on run plays or, you know, play action, kind of keep the defense honest. Yeah. Will I also just kind of split him outside and use him as my ex? Also, yes. Like, um, I, I just think he's, you know, that good and that versatile. Um, if you want to go with 12 personnel as well, like, hey, you can move him all around. Fantastic player. Um, he's still 20 years old as well. Like, he's he's young. Um, and I do think that perhaps starting his career at the NFL, like you just want to 
find ways to get him the ball in his hand. And with the kind of the learning curve that tight end has with needing to learn how to be an NFL receiver and an NFL blocker, you know, I might just kind of start him, like just want him to almost play receivers. So that mm. way we can just get him involved immediately as he becomes better at being tight end. But like, I doesn't really matter. Um, you know, we've, we're usually team trade back, but if Pitts somehow makes it like outside the top 16, I'm all for the bills trading up to pick. Oh, absolutely. Dude. I, I honestly doubt he will, but you know, it's, it's crazier things have happened. Um, yeah, no, I, I absolutely love Pitts as well. Um, I think you're spot on that if you just treat him like a wide receiver and then maybe get him some run blocking reps, here's the, here's the thing. Like, um, I think this, this player is very similar in a sense to chase Claypool in that the inverse of Claypool, like we talked about offline where Claypool was a wide receiver who people thought should play tight end. And it's the inverse for, for Kyle Pitts. But the thing is Claypool was a, is a really good run blocker for a wide receiver. And so he's able to make an impact out wide because he can actually take someone out of the play um, all the way out there. He can lead to some big, big runs that way. Um, I think if you treat Pitts like that, then the run blocking concerns, they don't disappear, but at the very least, you can actually have an asset by having him out wide um, rather than maybe a liability inside. So that's something to consider. Um, but yeah, Kyle Pitts is money. He's going to be tight end one in this class. And, and I'm you know very similar to what I did with Chase Claypool, who was tight end one last year and wide receiver 10 last year in a really, really good wide receiver class. I think I'll probably rank him in both just for fun and just because I can. Um, Jeff, Rashad Bateman, um, Minnesota, Outproduced Tyler Johnson in 2019, despite being two years younger as you have here. Um, you know, what do you think about Bateman and why is he not getting as much hype? Like, it seems like he's consensus ranked in the top five, maybe even top three in some cases, but he's not getting like talked about at all. I don't really understand this. Yeah. Um, actually, I had a minor typo there. Johnson did slightly outproduce Bateman, but Bateman had an extra five yards per catch. Gotcha. Um, so. But yeah, I mean, Tyler Johnston was like a mega producer at Minnesota, fourth round pick for Tampa, you know, got on the field in a loaded wide receiver room, made some great plays. Rashad Bateman was two years younger than him and matching him in production, doing even more per catch than Tyler Johnston was, just to give a little bit of comparison. Um, you know, and then he also had like a really solid 2020, despite being a shortened season. And I don't I mean, maybe... It's probably not getting hype partly because it's, I mean, solid for like, you know, a five game sample size. Um, I think Harvard's it's Minnesota. Mm. Like it's not a sexy school. Uh, nobody really, I don't think people watch them that much. So he, they're not on prime time or in spotlight games the way Alabama and Ohio state and Clemson are. Um, also maybe he's just like boring. Like he's, he's just like, you're, prototypical six foot two X wide receiver. Um, like I said, like Allen Robinson, he, Allen Robinson is a great wide receiver, six foot two, who ran a four, five, five 40, like nothing special, but I mean, he has long arms and he, he's a top 10 receiver in the NFL, but like, you know, because he's been stuck with the Jags and the bears, like I guess it's kind of like what I think of with Bateman. Uh, he's not going to test off the charts, but he's got that like just prototypical X alpha X wide receiver frame. And he just knows how to play. Yeah. I mean, that's like the simplest way to put it. And I, like you said, with chase, maybe not being a hundred percent ready, like week one, cause he did miss a year. Like I actually think there's Bateman 
might be the most pro ready uh, in this group. I, 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 for just week one, 2021, he might be like ready to go the most in this class. I think you're right. I think, uh, I think Bateman has one of the highest floors in this class of, of all prospects. Um, I think he runs faster than he looks. <laughs> like if you get my drift, like when you watch his tape, he doesn't appear to be running very fast, but if you just look at the distance between him and other players, you know, maybe that's competition level or something, but he still gets separation. I think the Allen Robinson comp is spot on. Uh, I think he also kind of reminds me of like a slightly smaller Keenan Allen, maybe of a guy who's just going to be like a technician who just constantly gets open um, inside in space, downfield, makes good catches. Like, I, I think that if you approach Rashad Bateman, like if he's on wide wide receiver two, I'm in a great position. I'm just not sure he's going to be like this elite wide receiver one. You know, maybe my opinion on that will change as I dive deeper and, you know, after we see him test, but um, really good player, very pro ready, like you said. So um, let's move on, Jeff, to, I think, uh, your favorite wide receiver prospect in this class in terms of like uh, difference between consensus. I'm super excited about him as well. You keep sending me like little hype bits about him uh, and I love it. Rondell Moore, talk to us about your feelings on Rondell Moore. I know that you hope the Bills could end up getting him as well. So, you know, what, what are you thinking here about this prospect out of Purdue? Yep. So Rondell Moore, he had an incredible rookie season. Um, he had more freshman season. Yeah, freshman season. Um, in that freshman season, he had more yards after the catch than Jerry Judy had in his entire collegiate career. Wow. He like and almost like almost as many as CD Lamb had in his college career. Now, now like Yards after catch is also large, like we've talked about how it's kind of a function of target depth. And he was used very close to the line of scrimmage. So like that doesn't need to be taken like, okay, this because he was getting the ball close. He wasn't winning downfield, but you know, he was also a freshman. Like, and he was just lighting it up. Um, and then his sophomore year, he was off to a really strong start and had like a knee hyperextension that caused a really severe hamstring tear. He did not play the rest of the season. I've read he would have been healthy to play the last one or like the last two games, but Purdue just kind of sucked. So he's like, it's not worth coming back and risking re-aggravation. And then 2020, he initially opted out and was getting ready for the draft with Big Ten canceling the season. And then they, you know, end up having a season and he just said, all right, you know what? I'll come back. And then kind of like retweaked the hamstring. I don't think it's something that should be like a consistent factor. I mean, I'll trust the NFL, whichever NFL teams, like, like it doesn't sound like it's something that will like, I mean, so many players at the NFL were pulling hamstrings last year with the short off season and everything like, right. It's not, it's not like um, a, like a medical concern, red flag going into his profile. Yeah. Yeah. Like to me, like the, the flag is just that we don't, we basically are evaluating off of an incredible freshman year and a strong start to a sophomore year. And we didn't really get to watch him develop more of a downfield presence. Like that's where like the injury for me is like, not that I really care about that. He got hurt. I just care that I don't have as much to evaluate him on and haven't seen him develop downfield. Yeah. So, but like we said, like, he is just electric. He, he, there's a video of him at the um, Exos facilities in the pre-draft process, 42 inch vertical jump. That's stupid. Three and a half feet guys. Like, like that's just absurd. And now there's uh he looks like um 
almost looks like a wide receiver version of Christian McCaffrey now, like just 5'9", 195 on that gamma radiation diet. Like, <laughs> uh, so I'm like, do I want him to be able to win further down the field? Um, because like, that is where a lot of the value comes from in the passing game. Yes. Would I feel more comfortable if I saw more of that on tape? Absolutely. But like, um, like Steve Smith, one of the, is probably a hall of fame player. He definitely, I mean, that's like, I think I've seen cutups, his college tape comps very well to Steve Smith's, um, pro tape, except Rondo Moore is faster. Like mm. he's, he's a sub four, four guy. Um, but comparing college tape and slash profile to college tape, like it's kind of Tyreek Hill-esque. Um, he's not as fast as Tyreek Hill is, but like he is plenty fast um, and quick and shifty that, you know, I, I do think like his, his, the projection is that he's a, has that Tyreek Hill-esque impact where, hey, you give him, you can give him the ball on a jet motion sweep. And he can, you know, he has the speed, just take it to the outside, make a couple guys miss and be down the sideline. No one can touch him. He has like that dimension to his game the same way Tyreek does, or you give him like a slant. He just cross the middle, couple jukes, lower his shoulder. Um, the, where like, I think he, to really unlock the, his ceiling though, is just being able to win downfield the way Tyreek does. Um, does he need to be, the most nuanced route runner probably not but could could he still like posh up there a little bit yeah sure um so um yeah i think he could be an absolutely electric for the bills specifically he gives us that like game breaking speed that we are missing on offense and with like the athleticism like okay we have some guys who are like decently fast but like maybe not as talented like rondell Moore just has that speed and talent to add that extra dimension to the bills specifically. And that's why I'm really hoping we can snack them at one thirty. Yeah, no, completely agree with your assessment there, Jeff. I like the comps. Um, if he really does put up that vertical number, he's going to be very like, it's going to be hard not to see Steve Smith in him because he's got a similar frame. And Steve Smith was one of those small receivers who played so big at the catch point. Um, you know, he, a lot of it was mentality. And so I don't know enough about Rondell Moore to know if he has that kind of big man mentality in the small man body. But I mean, shiftiness elusiveness explosiveness all the nisses um he's got him i'm on board rondell moore i think that he is going to be something that someone that we are way higher on than consensus um and it's just going to be fun to see where he goes he's going to be you know and, and on the route running point too like a reminder that kyle shanahan says like no one comes out a good route runner from college it's something that everyone needs to um everyone needs to pick up once they get to the pros and that's kyle shanahan saying this um, and you know, he's one of the best offensive minds in the league. So I think that when you have the raw traits that are requisite for a wide receiver one or a really good, uh, returner or, you know, a really good role player, um, then you just hope that a, a team that is built on growth mindset and development, like the bills can take that and run with it. So Jeff, two guys that we haven't talked about at all yet are the, the Alabama wide receivers. These are two guys that are consistently in the top five, if not higher, um, both of them. And that is Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith obviously won the Heisman, um, one of the most prolific college seasons in uh, recent memory. And But at the same time, there are some concerns about his profile. Um, I think NFL film grinders completely disagree with, the, with that assessment. I think they think he's lights out. You know, a lot, of, a lot of people even think he could be better than 
Jamar Chase just as a prospect. Um, and and I'm I'm very interested to have our audience hear this debate from you about why you you might like Jalen Waddle even better than Devontae Smith, who a lot of people think is like lights out, unbelievable. So give it give it to us, and uh, let's also hear about um, where you think they might end up. Sure. Um, I guess first Waddle specifically. I mean, he was outproducing Devonta Smith before he went down with the injury at the, um, you know, midseason. Like he was the number one in that offense. Um, Devonta Smith is probably being talked about as a late consensus, like late first round pick if Waddle doesn't go down with that injury. So, and Waddle is more likely like the consensus wide receiver too. And people are talking about him possibly being drafted ahead of um, Jamar Chase if he doesn't get hurt obviously he did get hurt but like you know like you know same uh exact same you know idea uh philosophy i had in regard to more i don't want to rehash it um and that allowed smith to thrive in that you know vacuum that was created and just kind of eat up passes um waddle you know in terms of athletic profile like waddle is like kind of like that special twitchy athlete where he has a combination of straight line speed and burst, you know, Rondell Moore, like skinnier, but similar than Rondell Moore all, or like a, you know, kind of Ty again, Tyreek ask, you know, just the game breaking speed. He erases angles or, and, and still has the, like I said, the ability to make it the, the agile on this to make those subtle movements and keep his top speed. Um, Devonta Smith doesn't have that. He's probably going to run about a four or five, which I don't care that much about forties. Um, I, I, in context, I do like, like say, you know, Bateman, if he runs a four, five, four, five, five, I literally do not care. But like Devonta Smith is, he is going to be small. Like he's, he'll, you know, come in like six foot, six, one, but he's going to be like 170 pounds. He, you know, maybe 175 at best. Um, it, no one with that frame really like the, the closest um like dd westbrook paul richardson are probably two of the closest comps in that regard like dd westbrook had a prolific season at oklahoma and was a heisman finalist himself and what he what did he do at the pro level not much he's a you know six foot 178 um Paul Richardson was, you know, I think 6'1", 175, 180. Couldn't stay healthy. Showed flashes. Um, so I don't think that Smith, with his size, you know, I, I don't see him really excelling at the line scrimmage. I think he can get bodied. Um, and, and then he doesn't have the speed that, like, say, a Waddle has. And then also from the more analytic perspective, I don't really wait this year as a fourth-year senior get uh, going up against guys who are younger than him as heavily as, you know, people like same similar vein as Najee Harris. I don't wait the senior year as much as other people. And especially when you take into context that, you know, he was getting outproduced by his teammate before his teammate got hurt. Uh, that's why I don't really love him. Um, now, one player who has a similar frame that was elite Hall of Famer, was Marvin Harrison, six foot, about 180 on the slender side, but still like a slightly thicker. However, Marvin Harrison's 40 yard time was in the four threes, like four, th about like four, three, five, four, three, eight. Like, again, like that's 
uh, a different gear than what Smith is likely going to have. So, you know, it's not saying like, I think Smith is kind of like same vein as Jerry Judy. Like, doesn't mean I don't think they can play at the NFL level, but like to me, they're wide receiver twos and threes. And like, I'm not really trying to draft those guys in the, like, the first round, especially like, you know, top 10 or whatever. Yeah. No, I, mean, I think, I think you make a compelling case, not against Devontae Smith, but why we should be a little bit more concerned than seemingly like draft pundits are or not, I should say. I think Jalen Waddle's super explosive. I think he's someone very worthy of, of hype and is probably under the radar right now because I think people are caught up yeah, with one, Devontae Smith. One more stat. Mm-hmm. Jalen Waddle, um, higher yards per target than Devonta Smith had yards per catch. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah, to think yeah. also to give to give an idea of the you know, like you know difference in efficiency and like game breaking ability that Waddle has. Yeah, he's uh he's really, really good. He's very explosive. I think Devontae Smith is probably going to be fine at, at the pro level. Uh, I think I think the concerns about his like BMI and his size and his frame, um, I think they're probably going to be dismissed after a season or two of production at the NFL level. I'm not going to make that say he's not a first round pick. I think I think you are better off drafting a couple other players at the wide receiver position. But at the same time, like Jeff, honestly, I think if I think if he ends up in the right uh, right offense, not even the right offense, just a good enough offense, good enough quarterback, I think he's going to be really good. Um, and I think the frame thing is going to be like, wow, this guy's an outlier. Um, and the speed concern, I I think you already said like with context, um, we've seen plenty of really really good NFL wide receivers not have top end combine speed. So to me, like what he puts on tape. Yes, he's older. Um, yes, he had Mac Jones, who had you know an unbelievable season. But Mac Jones had him, and yeah, he put this up without Jalen Waddle. But we're also talking about like some of the best competition level in the league. I think one of the strongest points that you make is how the frame could affect him at the line of scrimmage at the NFL level. It's something that we've talked a lot about about beating press, um, which is something that maybe he didn't have to do as much in, in the college level. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I haven't like you know been searching for it in tape, but um, I haven't seen much. It's a lot of you know, screens and slants and some, some downfield, but pretty much all free releases for the most part. Yeah. So at least outside like the red zone, he, he, it's going to be an interesting debate that I think we'll continue to have up until the draft and probably after that as well. Um, I'm very, very interested to see, uh, how Waddle tests. Um, and you know, we'll, I guess we'll go from there. Um, also how, how egregious was it that they let him play in that championship game? Oh yeah. I, I mean like that, that's borderline criminal. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Whoever was advising him on that, like, did not have his best interest in mind, in my opinion. Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting point. Um, okay, Jeff, let's uh, let's wrap up the wide receivers coverage here with just a few other names that you think people should keep an eye on. Go ahead and like rattle them off with your uh, your one or two liners here. All right, um, Elijah Moore and Diami Brown are two more. I think I am over consensus on, although I have seen more uh kind of coming up boards a bit elijah moore old miss he had a solid sophomore year like his box score number of like 750 ish yards doesn't pop out but you look at the context of the offense and the dominator rating was like a like a 30 something percent dominator rating which is fantastic and then this year guess who actually led the sec in receiving yards per game i'm gonna guess elijah Not the moore. Trophy winner. <laughs> elijah moore uh and he's like two years year and a half younger um, he projects as a slot receiver at the NFL. He's a little bit 
you know, like that's just, he's a slot receiver. He's not outside, but like, I think he can win really well. And you can also use him out of the back, uh, the backfield now and then. And then uh, Diami Brown, we mentioned him earlier talking about Javante Williams. He is out of UNC and um, he's, he's fast. Like he's probably more like a four, four speed, which is like, and he's a solid downfield threat. Um, I, I think he's, Actually, on Bill's Twitter, I saw someone say that he look, he like he could be the new Lee Evans out opposite of Stefan Diggs. Wow, would absolutely love that. Um, I see him kind of all over the board. Usually, I see him around like the two three turn. So if the Bills did not go Rondell Moore at one thirty, I was really thinking he could be a great snag at the two thirty. But on that same Marcus Mosher podcast, he said he thinks from what he's hearing, Diamond Brown will be a late first round or early second round pick. Wow. That, that will be quite the climb for him. And, and you've been all over him. Uh, I mean, yeah. someone that I think, well, I guess in the same context of like Kadarius Tony, I think you continue to be like, instead of Tony, go Diami Brown. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and I do have more in Brown ranked at the top of my tier three, right ahead of Devonta Smith, just to give some context. Um, to Marion Terry, uh, I think he's going to come in as the size speed, like athletic, athletic freak of this class he's i think he's 23 already he's older um and there's some i guess he didn't vibe with the coaches or there was some uh like maybe off field type of stuff or just like personality meshing so we'll kind of find more about that based on where he gets drafted i think um you know I, i'm not saying he's like an elite prospect or anything but you know he has kind of like that alpha type of profile with the size speed to kind of go with it Anthony Schwartz is out of Auburn. He will most likely be the fastest wide receiver in this class. Um, I think like over under on his, if they actually had over unders for forties, he'd probably be like, probably like a four two nine for him. Oh my 30. God. You really think? Yeah. He's, I think so. He like, he's, especially since it'll be a pro day number. Like I think he's, Oh, well, that's a good point. Like, yeah. Like four, three flat to like a four two eight, I think he's probably could very well be in that range. Um, so once that number comes in, you know, you're going to see him probably catch a ton of eyes. So remember you heard it here first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Do you, do you, do we want to get into the Darius Tony situation or should we save that for a different, different time? I guess, I guess we can save it because I, I know that you want to uh, have enough time to really go into it. So, just note that we will come back to Kadarius Tony, and uh, he, he is someone that is just getting like un- insane amounts of hype right now. And so I think it's going to be very valuable for you guys all to hear um, the counterpoint to that. Uh, and Jeff will, uh, of course, be getting into the biomechanics of his running style, which hmm. is so exceptional. Um, <laughs> yeah. Maybe uh, not also the best another reason I Also, another reason I don't like Devonta Smith. Fair enough. Just, yeah. Uh, okay. And another reason you didn't like Jerry Judy. Whoa. Hold up. Hmm. Um, so Axos is having their combine today. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently Rashad Bateman ran a four three nine. Oh my god. I mean, probably what with uh with um. Oh, it's so, laser timed. Is it laser timed? Do so you think that's accurate th- enough? Four three seven hand time. Four three nine laser time. Oh my god. That's stupid. Whoa. I mean, I love that. Like, you know, I'm not. He's. I'm not moving him above Chase because he's already my wide receiver too. Mm. But like. That makes me actually, you know, feel really. Now I feel like the hype that that I was saying I was confused why he wasn't getting. Um, 
now I think that's probably going to come if, if people like buy into that and, and actually say, yeah, I believe that number. Six, six, two with a six, two, four, three, nine. And with, I mean, like I said, yeah. he doesn't look like he runs fast <laughs> with that production profile. He doesn't look like he runs fast, yeah, but, it's but like he's got this long, long legs, legs. It's like that, exactly. it's that long, long leg speed. Right. You know, it's like these, these shorter guys, you see them with like the shifty cuts underneath and then accelerate. Mm. Whereas you have say like your down, more downfield guys like, like Bateman where, Hey, you know, they're not going to be making these in and out cuts underneath and then get to the edge and turn it up field but like he's going to get the ball down like like julio jones mm. like you know how often are you really giving julio like you know a, a crosser over like you're not doing that with julio right now, I'm, and i'm not saying bateman is julio like uh but like i'm saying like, you know you get him the ball 10 to 15 yards downfield where he can just in stride and just turn it up and four four like at six two like that is very tough to, for defensive backs to bring down. I'm wondering if a, if a good comp is starting to become Justin Jefferson for Rashad Bateman. You know, we already kind of talked about him in the same breath, but um, like super pro ready, uh, just very, very well-rounded, tested better than people thought he was going to. I think people thought Justin Jefferson was probably gonna be like four or five or, or, or higher, and he ended up at four, four, three at the combine. So, I mean, a lot of things are starting to line up, you know, similar, similar body frame and type six, one, 200, something like that. Um, obviously, you know, Jefferson was ultra productive because of that season with Joe Burrow, but still, um, you know, Justin Jefferson was someone who did not get the hype that other guys were in his class and ended up having the best rookie season with not the best quarterback that, that these rookies played with. So, um, okay, Jeff, let's wrap up here. We're going to do tight end and offensive line rather quickly. And the reason is tight end, like I already kind of talked about with Kyle Pitts, very similar to last year where there's like this hybrid that's going to be at the top of my rankings. Um, and I think there's potential for someone I might fall in love with, like I did with Adam Troutman um, towards towards the NFL draft last year, where I was like, actually, I kind of like this guy. I didn't, I didn't like the class when I first took my look. Um, and then when I really dove into them, when I really dove into them, I thought that- uh, Adam, Hey, Murphy. Yeah, Murphy's whining in the background. Um, Anyway, so I, I don't want to spend too much or really that much time at all on tight ends. We already talked about the the one to know. We'll get into them a little bit more, especially once we have testing numbers, because um, that's a position that you definitely want to be a good athlete at. Um, offensive line, uh, interior offensive line does not have much to get excited about in this class in terms of first round talent. So I think that could change again, um, reserving, you know, rights to, to change my yeah, mind. I think on there's that. what Wyatt Davis out of Ohio State was like. Yeah, and there's Interior there's the center out of Bama, um, and I think I think there's going to be a couple that that have the chance to sneak in. I think it's more of a day two position um, position group, and I think I think there's probably going to be like some NFL starters that come out of it, but no one that you're like, you know, salivating over. Like I, I liked I liked Caesar Ruiz last year more than I thought I was going to, and I think he's really good. Um, I'm not sure that I see someone like that quite yet. Um, offensive tackle though similar to the 2020 class is very deep it lacks like the consistent top tier um profiles i think but it does have the big name in penny sewell uh or sewell um from oregon who is you know seemingly lights out tackle prospect i think he's worthy of um going in that top 10 range based on how i see it right now so um you know i have to go, have to go deeper into this offensive line class in general but i think the main takeaway here is that the passing game is strong in this class, um, and and you know we're we're gonna talk about defense another day as well. But there are some really really enticing defensive prospects. I just don't know that the twenty twenty one class 
when we factor in the context of the uncertainty that comes from less less time to watch, less time to evaluate all these guys, I'm not sure that it has the consistent top tier talent that 2020 had, but there are still guys that I'm like drooling over and, and you know, would love, you know, can't wait to mock to, <laughs> to my favorite offenses um, or defenses that is um, uh, like your, your favorite cock in this year's draft, right? Oh, JC Horn, baby. Very, very horny. Mm-hmm. Um, no, JC <laughs> Horn's a good guy. I, I can't wait to, uh, can't wait to talk about him as well. Yeah. Um, Top two quarterback. Yeah. Um, all right. So Jeff, any final thoughts here as we wrap up our season premiere episode 74? Um, you know, today's the 25th anniversary of Pokemon. So happy Pokemon anniversary. Okay. Who is the most like, uh, let's see, Snorlax in the NFL? Um, Vita uh, Vea. Fuck. What's no, no. <laughs> Who was the, um, Lieutenant Albert Hainsworth. Albert Hainsworth. <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, he's not in the NFL anymore, but like thinking of like relatively signs that huge contract gains like 50 pounds and like <laughs> doesn't do anything again vince wilfork that's who it is snow likes mm. is vince wilfork um all right what about what about uh squirtle squirtle um i don't know it'd be tyreek i think like tyreek cohen <laughs> tyreek cohen yeah i like that by the way like uh, Tyreek is like too good to be scored. Yeah, exactly. Tyreek, Tyreek Cohen, or maybe like Darren Sproles. Mm. Yeah. Or I guess we could do uh, Eckler makes him a little what, bit better. Cal- Calvin Johnson is Charizard. Yeah, you, yeah, you could probably say that. <laughs> okay, so we'll, we'll leave it there. Congrats to Pokemon for 25 years of of uh, amazingness. That'll do it for our season premiere. Like we said, we've got a lot more content coming y'all's way uh, in the coming weeks and months. Obviously, you know, we're going to be turning our focus to fantasy after the NFL draft and, you know, talking some dynasty stuff. So if you're typically here for that, just enjoy the draft content while we're here because, you know, it only really comes once a year. So anyway, thank you all for tuning in. We appreciate you and we hope to catch you next time.